You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Today we are on the third week of our series called Awesome God. We've been looking into some of the attributes of God. This was our theme as well. We said in our prayer and fasting week, when we start talking about the attributes of God, we're also looking into the perfections of God. Because when we say perfections of God, it connotes exclusivity, that this is something that entirely belongs to Him. Amen? Now, we will look into an interesting story found in the book of Genesis. We will look into the compassion of God. This is really interesting. While we were working in this, this is something that I feel like many of us would need to hear. Please turn your Bibles with me for a while to Genesis chapter 16. We will read from verse 1 down to verse 14. It says here, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, Abram went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her as well, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of sin. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beerlai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Let's look into this now. Well, I was looking into this and I realized that perhaps this is a sermon that has a lot of personal and practical application for every single one of us. So I'd like for you to read your phones or your pens or your notebooks and hope you get to process this later on your own or perhaps with your wife or your husband. So we are in Genesis chapter 16. You folks know this. We say that every time we look at a certain passage, there is the broader context and the immediate context. And of course, the immediate context of this is found in the chapter right before this, which is Genesis chapter 15. Is it right? And if we have here a story in Genesis chapter 16, a story of Sarai, a story of Hagar, and a story of Abram, in Genesis chapter 15, we see that this is the portion wherein 
God made a covenant with Abram. Alright? So, I want you to have that as a backdrop. I want you to have it in your mind. What happened in Genesis chapter 15 was, you remember, God made a covenant with Abram to prove the certainty of that covenant. You remember that he asked Abram to get some animals, divide them into two. Darkness fell, night Abram fell into a deep sleep, and the cloud of fire that God passed through those animals that were cut apart. And the reason for that is, as what Scripture tells us that, may it be done to him, to that person, or that involved in the covenant, who will break his oath. Now, we are certain and we are sure that God will not break his oath and promises. Amen? We are certain with that. We don't doubt that because the doubters are us. If there is someone who might not be able to fulfill his end of the promise, it's not God, it's always us. Right? So for God to get into that, he's like telling Abraham, every single thing that I told you is going to come to pass. I want you to understand that that is very important. In short, there is certainty in the very words of God. If God told him, your offspring, Abram, will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. At that point, it looks absurd, but guess what? It will come to pass. If you remember, the Noah covenant prior to that, he told Noah to build an ark in a time wherein people have never seen a sheep or an ark, to build an ark in a time where people have never experienced rain. And for a hundred years, you know, Noah was building that ark and he looked foolish to the rest of the people. But guess what? God fulfilled his promise. It came to pass. So that is the context that we have here. And now we go to Genesis chapter 16. And I want to begin with some facts. Let's start with verse 1. It says here, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, at this point, had borne him no children. He had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. So what do we have here? We have three characters. We have Abram, his wife Sarai, and accordingly there was an Egyptian servant by the name of Hagar. Genesis 15 and Genesis 16 doesn't mean one year apart, right? Genesis 16 is several years apart or removed from Genesis chapter 15. Just by reading it, you feel like, oh, this is just a continuity of the story. We're talking about several years has passed. Now, Years after receiving that covenant, the fact here is that Abram and Sarai remained childless. Catch it? They remained childless. I don't know with you, but how would you feel if someone promised you something and that person broke his promise? You'd feel bad, right? We feel bad when we are promised a brand new cell phone and it wasn't given to us. So, I'd like for us to understand, look at this. This is a story that's filled with emotions. As we talk about this, I want you to feel the anger. I want you to feel the pain. I want you to feel the affliction. I want you to feel the suffering, the emotions involved in this story. Years after God promised a child, we remain childless according to Sarai. And as if this was promised by a king, this was promised by your God, Abram. They remained childless, stating some more facts. It says here, they had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Hagar here was a servant. She was a slave. If you come to think of this, Hagar here is an immigrant because she was not 
from Israel, and she was an Egyptian. I'd like for us to have this in our mind right now. She is a female, she is an immigrant, and she is a servant. This is not a preaching about intersectionality, but I just want you to understand that in your mind. She is a slave, a female, and an immigrant. Now, culturally, what does it mean? What does it mean if you're a female at that time? What does it mean if you are an immigrant that time? You're not part of the covenant people of God. Hello? Your God is not my God. That's what it means. The God of Abraham is not her God. She is an immigrant, plus she is a female, plus she was a servant. In short, Hagar here perhaps was one of the most unimportant people at that time. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt unimportant? Have you ever felt unaffirmed? Was there a time in your life that you felt unnoticed? Come on now. I was just talking with a guy from this church. The person was pouring out to me. He said, we've been in lockdown for like several months. I was like saying, since the beginning of the lockdown in March, and the person told me, there was not one person from among my close friends who made kumusta to me. Not one of them. And I felt like, you know, it's a valid emotion that he feels unimportant, that he starts assessing, are these really my friends? I'm not there to shut up. Importante ka lang. No, the fact is, he's telling me what he feels. So Hagar here was an unimportant person. Now, that's the fact that we find in verse 1. Going to verse 2, this is where the problem comes in. This happened to them. This will happen to us. I want you to understand this. Disobedience will always bring about disaster and disorder. Disobedience, small scale or big scale, will bring about disorder. It will disrupt disorder. Sin disrupts shalom. Sin will disrupt your peace. So I want you to have that in your mind as a Christian. I'm talking about you as a Christian. I'm talking about us as Christians. Every time we disobey, it brings about disaster. It disrupts. It causes disorder. Let's look into this now. Here's what we have. Sarai now said to Abram, Behold now, she said, The Lord has prevented me from having or from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Why did I say that a terrible disaster and disorder came from this? Look at this one. Because even to our day right now, this sin is still felt in our time. What happened here is still something that we are feeling in our times right now. I'll explain it later. Here's what Sarai said. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. What does it mean? I want to make sure lang that we are on the same page here. Do you feel the emotion of Sarai here? Let me try to bring that down perhaps to our vernacular language. Here's essentially what she was saying. Abram, God will not do as he said he would. That's what she was essentially saying. 
Perhaps she wasn't yelling, but deep inside of her, she was screaming, perhaps in bitterness and anger. She was essentially saying, Abraham, remember when you told me that God appeared to you and God said these things to you? You know what? I feel like it's a lie. Now I want you to look at this. Let's look at what we can make out of this. Do you folks realize that oftentimes, when we process our problems solely with our emotions, we will not arrive at a good solution? Have you ever been burdened by something in the past? Have you ever had big problems? Do you folks realize when you start processing that problem, worse is if you process it on your own, and then you're full of emotions, you don't arrive at a good resolution. I don't know if you know this, but do you folks realize that Ian and I have been married for 10 years, in fact, turning 11. And the truth of the matter is, perhaps not too many of you know this, we've been married for 11 years, but we don't have children yet. If you look at this, this is a cry of our heart. Not that we are angry with God. Sometimes when we process it, I would ask Rian, how do you feel about this? True enough, the reality is sometimes she feels like, not all the time, but sometimes she would feel like she has been forgotten. But you know what? We don't talk about this. In fact, our home, I must tell you, is full of joy and laughter. Now here's what I want to bring to every single one of you. How do you process big problems in your life? How do you process massive marital problems? How do you process massive financial problems? How do you process big academic problems? Workplace problems. Here's what I propose to every single one of us. We process our problems based on three things. I want you to remember this. And here's what we have. First, you process your problems with a promise. You process your problem with providence. You process your problems with perfections. What does it mean? If you have such a huge problem, here's how you process it. You process it not based on your emotion. Am I saying that your emotions are not valid? Is Sarah emotionally invalid? No. These are valid emotions. We don't shut down a person's emotion. If the person feels sad, sometimes there's a marital problem between the husband and the wife. And sometimes our question is, what do you feel? She did this or he did this, he did that. No, 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 no. I'm asking, what do you feel? Oh, I'm lonely. So here, what does it mean? When you process problem first, you process a problem not based on the motion, but based on the promise. If you understand that this was promised by God to you, then you have to understand that this is certain because the God that I serve is not a liar. Second one is you process this based on providence. What does it mean? You understand that you are not Lord over your life, but God is Lord over your life. Therefore, His will for your life is sovereign. This is what Sarai missed out. They created a shortcut because they cannot trust the sovereign will of God. A lot of times when we don't understand the sovereignty of God, it's actually bad theology. When you wake up in the morning and you feel like, okay, Lord, what's that? what are you going to give me today? No, the question is, what are you going to give God today? We process problems by God's providence. And of course, we process problems based on God's attributes, based on God's perfections. 
Is God able to do this? I, to, my, to my knowledge, God is merciful. God is just. God is unchanging. If He's unchanging, then therefore, that which He had done to Abraham can also be done to me. Come on now. That's how we process problems. Not just our emotions. Not just pure logic. Because if it's pure logic, you process emotion. You process your problem by what? By being street smart. Oh, I grew up in the streets. I know what to do. Oh, really? Then that is your wisdom. How about God's wisdom over the situation? We process problems based on these three things. Promise, providence, and perfection. For Sarah here, she processed this solely with what she felt that time. And that time, there was a growing bitterness and resentment in her heart. That's why it caused a problem. Let's look at what happened. Look at this one. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, Abram. That it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So first, here's what she said. She said, go into my servant Hagar. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. You folks catch that? You know what happened? As scandalous as that might seem, allow me to say a few things. First, at that time, it was culturally acceptable. That practice it was culturally acceptable. For couples to decide to have a child by way of their servant. Take note of this one. I want to be clear with this. It was culturally acceptable, but we are not saying it was a God-sanctioned culture. People said, ah, oh, that's totally fine. Everyone's doing that. Just because it's practiced by everyone doesn't mean it's okay with God. Because as early as the book of Genesis, we have seen God's design for marriage. There are two competing voices here. First, the voice of the culture versus the voice of God. That's what we have here. The voice of the culture at large or in general versus the voice of God. Here's where tragedy happens. I want you to listen to this. Here's where tragedy happens. Abram heard from God. That is sure. But the problem is he listened to someone who was not heard from God. Oops. Do you have friends who give you counsel over your problems? Every wisdom is foolish if it is not the counsel of God's word. That's the problem with Abram. He heard from God. He was certain that he heard from God, but he listened to someone who was not heard from God. Does this sound familiar? Come on now. Does this sound familiar? I'm not saying this happens in your household, but this happened in what? This happened in the garden. This is a repeat. This echoes the what, that ha- what happened between Adam and Eve in the garden. It's simply a repeat. The dilemma of Adam and Eve is now the dilemma of Abram and Sarai. Minus the snake, an external factor, because to a certain extent, the snake, quote-unquote, is already in them being the sinful nature. What do we make of this? Let's talk about two things now. This is exciting. So I want you to buckle up. Let's talk about two things with regards to what we've talked about. Let's talk about spouse and culture. Let's talk about husband, wife, and culture. Let's start with the first one. Ian and I are celebrating our 11th year anniversary. I would say that I have been graced by God that He gave me a woman who listens to the Lord. Not just hears from God, but listens to God. To those who are married and those who are not yet married, to all of us, 
that is integral in a spousal relationship. Let me talk further. Let me talk to two groups of people since we're talking about spouses. First, let me talk to the unmarried, then we'll talk to the married ones. To the unmarried ones, students and single professionals. My admonition is, looking from this story, it tells me that it is not enough to marry a churchgoer. It is not enough to marry a believer. It's not a checklist that, okay, he's a Christian, she's a Christian, that's totally fine already. Sarai was a covenant person. When I say not enough, I'm not saying that the person is not enough. I'm talking about your choice. The very thing that you look for in a future spouse. Do you folks realize that your future spouse, to those who are not married, and I want you to think deeply about this, your future spouse has the tendency to bring you closer or farther from God. Make a wise choice. So meaning to say, if you are a student or a single professional, it tells me then, if that is the case, I have to ready myself for future marriage. I have to ready myself by growing spiritually. Otherwise, you might jeopardize someone's faith in the future. Let's go to the married ones. This is not intended to make patama, all right? I want you to understand and see the heart behind this. And for us, including myself, for us who are married parents, the question is, when was the last time that we were in God's Word? When was the last time that we were in God's Word? When was the last time that your husband or your wife saw you in God's Word? Not saw you in church, fixing the stuff here. Not setting up the TV, not setting up these lights. Not cleaning the place. On the Word. If I have officiated your weddings, it's good for us to go back to our vows, isn't it? Right? Isn't it that the vows of the husband is to be the spiritual covering of their wife? One of the vows of the husband is to be the spiritual covering of his wife and his family, not the other way around. I'm not saying these things para mag-away kayo mamaya. Nope. That's not the goal. No. One of the vows of the wives is not to hinder her husband, but inspire him. And these things are very important. And perhaps another question is, where are you now, spiritually speaking? I think it's sad if as a family, as couples, we've been to different nations and we haven't even stepped into the sanctuary of the Lord. We've gone to all sorts of vacations and we are spiritually dead for that matter. If you are someone who have had a vibrant relationship with God prior to your marriage, and you look at your life right now, there's no vibrancy 
in your relationship with God, and perhaps it's time to just process these things. I'm not saying fight over these things, but look into this and see what you can do to perhaps revive this integral aspect of your life. If you look at the story further, it gives us a picture of the difficulty of having a domineering wife and a passive husband. Look at this. Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you, Abram. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me, Abram. And Abram said, Um... All right, your servant is in your power. Do as you please. What? That's it? There's no rebuttal? Come on now. Here we see here, you know, Sarah was angry about the evil that she has conceived. About the evil that she thought of. About the evil that she has conceptualized. She was angry with Abram for that. And here we have Abram, instead of telling his wife, Sarah, you know what? We've talked about this. This is what culture is saying. We've talked about this. I don't think you have to be doing that to Hagar. I think we can sit down and talk about this. No, what happened to him? Look at this. Abram became an enabler of Sarah's sins. Passivity. As a spiritual covering of his family, he did not correct Sarah. Did not wash her with the word. What do we do in instances like this when our spouse is gossiping? Ah, as long as you don't disturb my peace with my ML or my NBA game, do whatever you want to do. As long as you don't, as long as you don't touch my basketball, do whatever you want to do. What do we do in our spousal relationship? What do we do with the addiction of the other? Sweetheart, I feel like sobrang dami nung nasa cart mo. Tapos pare-pareho lang, iba-iba lang yung kulay. Kailangan talagang sampu ang color? Hindi natin alam, nagiging addiction na pala. Ikaw naman, ah, okay lang yan. Love naman kita. Sinabi mo yun kasi may addiction ka rin. Isn't it that this was the same thing that God was angry with Eli? With? Sabi ni Eli, my problem with you, Eli, is this. You honored your sons above me. What do we do when our husband or our wife is slacking off spiritually? I'm not saying you insult them by carrying your Bible in front of them and tell them, ah, I'm gonna read God's word today. Over a cup of coffee, ako na lang. Kay Murat, wala may kwandiri sa balay. Magpa-worship song ta. Well, I'm not saying you do that, but I think it's just good for us to sit down and say things like, Sweetheart, you know I love you and I want you to grow in God's grace. But I feel like much of your time is spent doing this and doing that. We haven't had a time together in God's word. We haven't been having our devotions. Our folks with me. I'm not saying these things for you to fight, you know. Please don't fight using this preaching as a premise. 
please save us the headache. But my point is just sit down and just start talking about this. Then you can use this premise. Um, can we talk about what Pastor Archie said a while ago? But before that, let's make a deal. Here's a deal. The deal is, we will not fight. Oh, ganun yun. Ganun mag-usap ang mag-asawa. I know of a couple who has a deal. Their deal is, we will not fight on a Sunday. Because they want to come to church and both of them are happy. So, we have to make sure we're not gonna fight on Sunday. Minsan, abusado rin si husband kung ano-ano gagawin sa Sunday. Second with this culture, it says here that it was culturally acceptable for them to have children by way of their servant. So in short, culture says, culture dictates that Abram was gonna have to take advantage of a servant with the approval of his wife and the rest of the community for them to have a children. Here's the thing. Like what I said, this is the voice of the culture versus the voice of God. At the end of the day, if you look at this, we can be applauded by the world yet frowned upon by God. Is that what we want? My goodness. Who cares about your 450 likes on Facebook? Who cares about the 1,200 shares or whatever? If God is frowning upon your attitude, your character, what you've done. I think it's important for us Christians to learn to live for the glory of God. I'm not saying don't do social media. That's not the point. You know, in Abraham's culture, it was trending. Trending ang daghang asawa ug uyab. During their time. In our time right now, trending ang daghang uyab. Pag ikaw, pag dagan mo uyab, ang ingon sa mo, grabe ngiligan yung tawanan ni Bay. Dagan kay uyab. Ang uyab, pud, pauwat pud. Ang love man ko niya, dili lang ikaw. Everyone, gingon na niya. It's the same thing. Is this the kind of jerk that you want to be with? What's trending in our culture right now? It's culturally acceptable. There's a survey that says, in the Philippines, fewer people believe in marriage. So what's trending in our culture right now? Um, it's okay, we don't have to get married. We can call ourselves partners. It's culturally acceptable for people to have sex outside of the boundaries of marriage. If you're a Christian, that isn't supposed to be your standard. Come on now. I remember when we were in Manila for a training. This was like several years ago. I lost my wedding ring. I was with Pastor Romel of Victory Zamboanga. And you know, I told him about this. And you know what we did? I went to buy a temporary replacement at Unisilver. Just because we're not comfortable staying the next two days, two days lang naman, two days in Manila without my wedding ring. Bala na Unisilver. Basta may wedding ring. One of the things that I hate about our culture in the Philippines is yung culture ng we enable chancing. We don't see this in the church, but Filipino culture, Yung mga lalaki, mahilig manghipo ng babae. Ay, yung babae naman, parang wala lang pakialam. That's harassment. Church people, ladies, if someone does that to you, sampalin mo sa mukha. Report the person to the police. Now look at this one. This happened in the United States. This was just a few days ago. This is the culture that we live in. You know what? I'm always worried with what's happening in America because I feel like everything that happens in America is a looming storm coming over to the different nations of the world. Everything there is brought forth 
to the rest of the nation, especially the Philippines, who simply love everything about America. Who simply love the Philippines. You want to summarize Philippine culture or what Filipinos would want to be like? Just look at America and Korea. That's it. Everything K-pop, that's always acceptable in the Philippines. Everything American, it's always acceptable in the Philippines. Look at this one. In the Congress, 170th Congress in the United States, this is what's happening now. There are gender terms that are banned under new house rules. You cannot use sister, uncle. You cannot use anything that pertains to gender. So what do I call my fellow congressman now? Uh, it, this, this animal? What do I call him? Oh, I, sorry, I, I said him. I cannot call him him. That's the thing. You know what this is? This is foolishness. This is how foolish culture can be. There's a pastor who turned congressman. He started praying in front of all the congressmen. The pastor, huh? he used to be pastor, became a congressman. He prayed in front of everyone. And in respect to this, here's how he ended his prayer. We pray a man and a woman. Nothing can be more idiotic than that. Friends, listen carefully. If we don't make disciples, these things will happen to us. This is crazy because, you know, this tells me, I'm talking about brilliant people. We can be talking about scientists, lawmakers. At the end of the day, I want you to understand this guy. Gaano kakatalino? Ang kasalanan nakakabobo. Sin will make you dumb and stupid. There will come a time that monkeys will be better than us. In terms of a restraint for evil. How do you say that in English? Kahit gaano kakatalino ang kasalanan nakakabobo. What do we have here? Instead of resting on the promise of God as seen in the previous chapters, we see here that they have hatched a plan to expedite the fulfillment of God's promise. When we do God's will in man's way, it will always lead to disaster. See? If we disobey, disorder and disaster will come in. That's a sure thing that's gonna happen. In your own life, in your family, in our city, in our culture. Abram and Sarah here cannot wait for the promise of God to be fulfilled. So in essence, they were like saying, Ah, Lord, guess what? Your timeline, God, is not right. So in short, that's already an idolatry of themselves. They feel like they are better than God. Here's what makes it worse. Look at this. If we sin, pag meron tayong kasalanan, merong nadadamay. Don't you ever think for a second that when you sin, it's just on you. No. When we lie, when we cheat, when we do crazy things, uh, it's okay. No one's harmed. No, 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 no. People will be harmed. When we disobey, the consequences of our disobedience affect people. It says here, and he went into Hagar. Now, Hagar here becomes a damage. So I want you to understand this. I want you to know that sin has an ugly repercussion to your wife. Sin has an ugly repercussion to your husband. Sin has an ugly repercussion to your children. Sin has an ugly repercussion to your workmates. Sin has an ugly repercussion to your groupmates. How many times have you done groupings in your classes, in your different subjects in your school? And then you, you come to us, you're really disappointed. Why? Because it was supposed to be a group project, but your friends are out there drinking and you're doing your own thing. You're doing the project for everyone. Because your friend is out there partying. It affects everyone. Seeing as an ugly repercussion to your church mates. 
How many people in the church have been offended to me even if I have not done anything to them? It has an ugly repercussion to all of us. And here we see that Sarai and Hagar was in a fight against each other. Tulfo level. Bakit ko sinabing tulfo level? Kasi sabi dito in verse 6, Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Kung hindi tulfo level yan, hindi naman alis si Hagar. Kung cold shoulders lang yan, kung typical na away lang yan, Hirot Hagar would not have left. The words used here for dealing harshly is the same words that were used when the Egyptians dealt with them harshly. That's why she left. Look at this one. In verse 7, it says here, Then the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Now, if this was Israel, Egypt is right here. Shur is somewhere here. Shur was on the way to Egypt. She was on the way to Egypt. Here's the thing. It wasn't a safe place for her alone because there will be wild beasts out there. There could be people who could take advantage of her. Look at this. Take into account that the person is pregnant. That she is pregnant at this time. Why was she unsure? She was going to go back to her hometown. She was going to go to Egypt. Now look at this one. Isn't it that when we experience deep pain, we want to go back to our home? When there's so much pain, man, I miss. I miss mom. I miss dad. There's too much pain here. Isn't it that when there's too much pain, you remember even the adobo of your mom? Come on now. So it tells me that this person was in deep anguish. She was in deep affliction that she was willing to make a journey all the way to Egypt simply, simply because she was craving home because of the pain, the affliction that she was carrying with her. That's what we have here. Then it says here, the angel of the Lord found her. Let me just say this uh, clearly. You know, the angel of the Lord here is not an angel. But the angel of the Lord here is, guess what? I want you to listen to this. The angel of the Lord here is Christ pre-incarnate. Showing up to her. I don't know if you get this. I'm talking about an Egyptian. I'm talking about an immigrant. I'm talking about a slave. I'm talking about a woman. I'm talking about a person who doesn't belong to the covenant of God. Here she was hurting. Here she was in pain. And here comes Jesus coming to her and showing himself up to her. If I were Hagar, my first question is, who am I? I am the list of the list I have been taken advantage of. I am worth nothing. And here you are showing up to me. Why do we say that this is Christ pre-incarnate? Because first, if you look at this, you know, uh, the angel of the Lord is Christ pre-incarnate because he speaks not as a messenger. He doesn't say this is what God says. He says he speaks as if he is God. He's referred to as Lord. And one of the 
best verification why the angel of the Lord is Christ pre-incarnate, scholars would say is the fact that, look at this one. It is the work of Christ that He would always seek and find that which is lost. This is the attitude of Christ. So we know that this is Christ Himself. Hagar was in pain. She was sad. She was taken advantage of. And friends, Christ comes to her. In verse 8, it says here, look at this one. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. I want you to understand is what did God tell her? What was the first word that God tells Hagar? What was the first word? Look at this one. God calls her by her name. God calls her by her name. As a slave, as a servant, most of the time, nobody calls their name. They're just as, hey, you, bring this there. Hey, you, go to that. Hey, you, get me some water. That's what it looks like. And here comes Christ pre-incarnate addressing her by calling her her name. Perhaps it's the first time that she has heard someone call her name in years. This is extremely important on two levels. First, it tells Hagar that God sees her and knows her. By God telling her, Hagar, it's extremely important on two levels. First, it is important because it gives her a pic- Hagar a picture that, all right, the God of Israel sees me and knows me. Therefore, if He sees me and knows me, if He knows my name, then most likely He knows my pain. You folks remember that the Bible tells us that He even knows even the number of your hair. That your names are written on the palms of His hands. So how can we say that God doesn't care for us? When we say God doesn't care for us, when we say when we are bitter against God, our only premise is our emotion. Not His promise, not His providence, not His perfections. Hagar was like, if he knows my name, then he knows my pain. Take note, she was a female, immigrant, and servant. She was not second-class friends. She was no class in the eyes of the people. Yet God's eyes were on her. Ever since I was a student, I've always loved listening to Bishop Ferdy. Pastor Ferdy Kabiling. When I was a student, he was here and he would preach in the church. And I just love being with him. Every time I see him in Manila, the many pastors that he get to encounter every single day. When I see him in the hallway, he would call me this way, Rich, Archie. He would get confused with Richie and Archie. And every time he says that, I don't know how you feel about these things, but you know, every time he calls my name, I feel good. I feel like, all right, he knows my name. I'm not saying I'm a sucker for that, but I'm just saying, he knows my name, and I just love it. Don't you love it when people call you by your name? Don't you love it when someone notices you? When someone affirms you? When someone comes to you and tells you, you know what, I just prayed for you? When someone sends you a text message, come on now. Much more here, we're talking about the God of the universe. 
What happens? And then it says here, God calls him by name. Here's the second integral thing. What happens to people when God calls their name? Guess what? We know the story. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this happened to them. David, God called them by their name. You know what happened to them? Usually, friends, listen to this. When God calls people by their name, it's a moment of their salvation. It's a moment of their salvation. Then God asked her, Where have you been? And where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. Is it because God doesn't know where she was going? Of course God knows. But like what I said, this resonates again in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, God asked him, where are you? That question was meant to draw them out or to make them realize. It's the same thing with Agar right here. God asked question to bring us into a realization. During your devotions, when I was reading the story of Eli, like what I said, the Holy Spirit was like asking me, um, would you be willing to do these things, Archie? God asked us question to bring us into a realization. Verse 9, she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. It was a gentle rebuke from the angel of the Lord. It sounds like it doesn't make sense. I'm fleeing from her because she was mistreating me. But you know what? This is a providence of God's grace for her. Alam niyo po sa Bible, ito yun. Sa Bible, you could study this. Pag inutusan ka ni Lord, ibig sabihin, mahal ka ni Lord. When God tells you to do something, it simply means one thing. God loves you. Does that apply to spousal relationships? We start paying too big. No, I don't think so. God wanted her to go back to Sarai because God was certain that she was going to die on the way to Egypt. It's a providence of God's grace. No, 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 no. You got to go back. You're going to die here. And here's what God says. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all the kinsmen. Does this sound familiar? God was telling Hagar, your offspring are cannot be counted. Gonna be, there's going to be a multitude of them. Listen, that sounds like the same promise to Abraham. And now here, God, God is what? Taking her in to experience the same thing. You would also notice that this is the first time that God gives someone a name. God specifically said, you're going to call him Ishmael. And then of course we know, um, together with that, it's a prophetic word because you're going to call him Ishmael, but he's, he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. He stand against everyone. Everyone stand against him and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. What did I tell you a while ago? We can feel the pain of the sin up until now. Ishmael's descendants are Arabian people right now was always been at war with Israel. In short, we're talking about descendants of Muslims. Descendants of Arab people. And if you know world history, you know what I'm talking about. But praise God, friends. Look at this one. Praise God. A lot of Muslims, a lot of people in the Arab world are getting saved. It's not on the news always, but there's scores, hundreds of Muslims, of Arabs people 
getting saved through what? Through the visitation of Christ. Christ appears to them. Christ shows Himself up to them. And where do we see the truth? We see the truth here in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her. This gives us a pretext that the things that are happening right now in the Arab world started with Hagar right here. Pretty excited with what God is going to do in the ministry in the Arab world. Among the Muslim communities. Praise God for people like Gigi in Pakistan, ministering to Muslims. Praise God for our churches in every nation in Saudi Arabia and all of these places. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. Jehovah. Elroy, the God who sees. The God who sees through and through. God, friends, is all seeing. He sees everything completely, constantly, entirely, eternally. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we worship. This is a story of how God extends grace even to non-covenant people. In fact, you know, when I say this is the pre-incarnate Christ, this happened in John chapter 4. You remember that? A Samaritan woman at the well, an outsider, a non-covenant person, a foreigner. Jesus comes to her out of the blue, starts asking questions. And guess what? When did she realize, wait a second, wait a second, you are somebody else, you are a prophet. When did she realize that? She realized that when God, when Jesus tells her about her current and past relationships, he knows for a fact that Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her filth. Jesus saw how dirty she was. Jesus saw her pain. Jesus saw her affliction. And Jesus came to counsel and to save her. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing for she said, Truly I have seen him who looks after me. Sabi ni Hagar, I saw him. I saw him. Friends, the ultimate display of compassion of God to Hagar is this. She saw God and did not die. What a grace that God has lavished upon her. If you're here today and things are messy, you are in pain, you've been taken advantage of, Everything's not adding up. It's all chaotic and all of these things. I want you to understand this. God sees. God sees. God is not distant. God is near. He sees. Take comforts in the word of Hagar when she said, Truly, I have seen him, look at this one, who looks after me. God's grace is here. And God is here because He's looking after you. Amen. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.